Inner chaos is part of so many lives. When we go through it, we often try to hide it on the outside. Now I'm okay. I'm all good. But inside, there's a struggle. Why do I feel this way? Am I broken? Am I the only one feeling like this? When people connected with Jesus, they would grow to trust Him, pull down the mask they wore. Well, today we're talking about this theme called It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And it's a theme that picks up where every person here is and also picks up where anybody might be who doesn't associate themselves with Christ. Because one of the truths about the human condition is that we're all not okay. And the very reason that Jesus came to the planet was to tell us that that okayness can be a starting place Not a barrier, but a starting place to a relationship with God. And so while we're doing this series this morning, we're we're going to pick up on some of the stories that bring Jesus to a place where he is reaching out beyond the norm. Because we always have norms, don't we? Norms about what it is that we do, norms about who it is that we reach out to. And usually our norm is within a sphere of influence and a circle of, of familiarity to us. But what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus takes us on a journey with him and his disciples to a place that is far from normal, far from normal for the Jewish community of the day. And so we're going to look at this from a picture of, uh, of Jesus breaking down barriers that are cultural and religious and spiritual barriers that allow somebody to be totally set free from their not okayness to an okay place. We all have storms in life, don't we? How many of you have had storms in your life? Come on, don't, don't just get me to confess my sins up here or my problems. Um, you know, look, I've been through a season over the last few years where um, my wife's sister passed away from cancer, my son-in-law passed away from cancer, close friend died, um, you know, and so you get these challenges that come through your life and you go, whoa, God, enough is enough, don't you think? Enough is enough. Because we'd like to have our challenges just evenly paced and spaced, wouldn't you? It's like, yeah, we're doing okay. Okay, so I'm, I'm okay, I'm up for another challenge now. And, uh, and then you're ready to climb that mountain, and then it's okay. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? It's like being at Mount Monganui or Papamoa Beach on a, on a stormy day, and your body's surfing there, and you get slammed to the bottom, sucked down, held under. You get to the top, you catch your breath, and whack, another one gets you. And you, you know, you're just keeping above the water, just getting enough breath to survive. Does that describe situations in your lives? Yeah, it does. Some of them are planned, of course. Some of you work too hard, and that's the way you like to live life, barely breathing. But um, that's uh, something you have to sort out with your spouse, usually, uh, or, you're, or you're going to end up in trouble. But often when things are out of our control, we feel like we can barely breathe. The disciples were going through a little journey with Jesus when he took them to the other side of the lake. And we're going to read the scriptures about a storm they go through and then how that's a setup for an even bigger storm of a different nature, a spiritual nature. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the, of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. 
The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. It's a lovely picture, isn't it, of just inviting Jesus into the storm of your life in the hope that with his power and his strength through faith, you will see the storms be calmed and stilled. But what I want to take this morning is the, is the opening line. The opening line is a stage, it's a setup for a story that many people in the day would have understood it to be as, as, a, as, a, as like a, a bit of tension thrown right at the beginning of the story. And the story and the tension is bigger than the waves and bigger than the storm. Because Jesus says right at the beginning there, he says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now, the other side of the lake was not the best place to be. The other side of the lake was a place where pagans lived. The other side of the lake was where the devil lived. Because there were the Girgashites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, and the Canaanites, all those that had been pushed out of the promised land during the time of Israel coming in and taking that land. And they had set up camp on this other side of the Lake of Galilee. So the other side was the place where good Jewish boys and girls didn't go. When you decided to go on a camping holiday, set your sail and go to the other side of the lake, you never went to this part of the lake. Because there a legion of 6,000 Roman soldiers camped to keep control of this community, this community that was driven to revelry and drunkenness and sexual immorality and, and lots of different pagan worshipping communities. And this Roman legion that was established there had a symbol, as all Roman legions did, of their strength, and that was the, the, the boar's head, a pig's head. And so on their shields and on their symbols was a pig. And of course, you've heard, all heard the story about, you know, as popular as a pork chop in a Jewish synagogue, well, this, of course, said everything completely opposite to what it is that it meant to be following the Jewish custom and the Jewish way and the Jewish God of Yahweh. So it was a place where you didn't go. Back in November this last year, myself and Caleb and Michaela, who gave us the notices this morning, went to a conference in Chicago to Willow Creek. Fantastic conference. The one thing that we had to be certain of, though, is that we never went to the south side. The south side of Chicago is the other side of the lake in respect to living in Chicago. And when we were there in this late November doing this course, Bill Hybels, who's a senior pastor of Willow Creek, uh, got up and talked to us about the challenges of living in Chicago. And he said, guess what? This week we reached 700. And we were looking at him going, what do you mean 700? He said the 700th murder on the south side of Chicago. 700 people would be murdered in that one city alone. In one, in one year, and there was still a month to go. So you didn't go to the south side, and we got told, if you end up in the south side in your rental car by accident, just don't slow down below 30 miles an hour. And this is not kilometres an hour, this is miles an hour, and it doesn't matter if you're even in a cul-de-sac, you just go straight through the wall and you stick to your 30 miles an hour. Just don't stop and don't get caught in the south side, which is pretty good advice considering the statistics of uh, probability there or possibility. But this other side, the Gedarenes, the Gerasenes, the Genesaret, these are three names that describe this area, and you'll find them interchangeable in your scriptures, was the place where 
the devil lived, where evil plagued the town. And so we find ourselves now caught into this tension before we actually hit the storm, don't we? The boys with Jesus are going to the other side, and by being at the other side, it meant that they were going to enter into this pagan land. And what was going to happen in this pagan land? Well, who knows? Only God knows, seriously. So we need to read this story. It says here, They sailed to the regions of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And the thing that I want to mention here is that they transition from a natural world where there is storms of the natural variety, breaking water into the boat, that's all very natural. And then they come immediately into a spiritual transition. Now, you do this all the time, you don't even think about it. You walk into a room and you get that tingle down your spine and you go, something's not quite right here. I'm not sure what it is, but I'll find out. And sure enough, it'll be the spiritual environment of the room has been set in some way that is not godly. You just have a sensitivity to it. It's a radar. Or you have a conversation with somebody and immediately it'll turn from natural to spiritual. You know, as simple as I'm going to a funeral today and I'm going to give thanks for the life of John. John who greeted us at the door. Oh, really, why are you going to the funeral for? Well, he's a friend of mine. I celebrate the fact that he's now with the Lord. Spiritual conversation. And so we walk hand in hand, natural and spiritual, all the time. And Jesus was always trying to transition people from the natural to the spiritual. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the woman at the well, how he took her on a journey of talking about real fresh water, then he moved her to living water, which would never, from which somebody would never get thirsty. This time, Jesus doesn't actually have to change the conversation because this is what occurs. It says here, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. I beg you, don't torture me. So immediately there's this clash. No sooner had the boat hit the, sea, hit the, hit the sand, that Any of you who go boating know what I'm talking about. It's that moment when you turn the motor off and you glide up into the shore and you just hear that as the bow of the boat runs up against the sand. It's a beautiful sound because it usually means we're beginning some little adventure for the day. Water skiing or a picnic or we're going to go fishing. And all the boys in the boat would have gone, man, we're past that storm. Man, still can't work it out how Jesus called that storm to go calm. Jesus gets out of the boat, and there he is confronted by a naked demoniac. Okay, that's not quite the picnic or the water skiing event that you want to have. Okay, it isn't, is it? But what we find here is this change from the natural to the spiritual, which is going to take Jesus and these disciples into a place and space that's going to challenge and threaten the whole neighborhood. Challenge and threaten the whole neighborhood. You see, this man had been living in the tombs, and these tombs aren't like our tombs. We think of somebody just sort of getting a blanket and lying on the gravestone, you know, and we do in a, in a European fashion. But in the Middle East, they had tombs, literal buildings where you would put your 
grandfather and your grandmother and then your father and then your mother and then, you know, eventually you would end up there too. Kind of cosy families. We never got along in life, but we'll get along in death. Okay, because no one will be arguing. But what would happen is this man would have broken into these tombs and he would have made his home amongst these, bo- these bones and these bodies. Okay, not only did he make his home amongst these bones and his bodies, but no one could get him out of there. See, the thing is, no one wants a demoniac living with, with dad in the tomb, right? So they tried to get him out of there, but they tried to chain him and restrain him. But he would just break through all of these bondages and he would be, ultimately he'd be wrestled away with all his clothes and he'd just be naked running around those tombs. And he would have been a sight to see. The kids would have gone down and said, hey, let's go down to the tombs and throw stones at the demoniac. Come on, let's go. Let's see what we can do. Well, at least if I was a 15-year-old boy, that would have been fun. Come on, a few of you would have joined me. After Sunday school, perfect thing to do. But here is Jesus confronting this guy. And this guy would not have known what this was going to mean for him. But what we notice straight away is that this guy has a spiritual insight. Maybe it's because, and probably is, because of the demonic activity in his life. But he knows who he's talking to. Jesus has never had this spoken to him before, not in Luke's gospel anyway where uh, he's been mixing it up with the Hebrew leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. None of them have said, you're the, son, you're the son of the Most High God. None of the disciples have said, you're the son of the Most High God. But what happens? This demoniac says, you are the son of the Most High God. And then he's immediately threatened, saying, have you come to torture me? Have you come to torture me? Because no one else has been kind to me. Now you are the pillar of righteousness from God's own hand himself. Have you come to torture me? Which is a pretty legitimate question, really, when you're a naked demoniac and has only been abused all your life. And so we, we, we find this story poised, don't we? Poised. What's Jesus' response going to be to this poor bloke? Okay, he's lived a life of torture in some sense, mental, spiritual, and physical. And what's Jesus' response to him? Well, we see here, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So this this man had not only broken chains, lived in tombs, but his life was one of isolation, lonely, no human contact. He was driven away from people, not towards people. And so this man was just a picture of pity, wasn't he? A picture of pity. And we see them in our streets. We see these people surrounded by people, but no one talking to them. It's the homeless. It's the drunk. It's the druggie. It's the people who we like to think somebody else is taken care of. But here we find this man broken by all of the circumstances of life, and possibly, quite probably in fact, some of his own circumstances, maybe he'd been dealing with uh, worshipping in the wrong places, bowing down to demonic beings at these pagan temples, and he'd become loaded, filled with demonic oppression. You know, the remarkable thing about the human spirit is its ability to withstand all the pressures of life. Demonic pressures, when people align themselves with 
demonic activity and therefore are vulnerable to demonic oppression. But the, the pain, the challenges, the threats, the intimidation, often the lies. And, and, and we are subject to these things all the time in our lives. And the, the capacity of the human spirit to withstand these sorts of intimidations, these sorts of depressions, these sorts of uh, negative things that impact our lives just, just overwhelm us at times. But we have this amazing capacity and this resolve to get up and get on, don't we? And even this demoniac, maybe at the very core of his being, there was some hope there as he came down and saw Jesus as that boat glided up onto the beach. So Jesus confronts him. He said, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. And a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. So here we have a picture of a man who had a legion of demons in him. He was oppressed and suppressed. These same demons, when they're put into an animal, just took over, just took immediately, took over, and just drove all of these pigs to drown themselves. That just shows the power of a demon, the demonic, but it also shows you the resolve, doesn't it, of the human spirit, how it puts up with so much. And as Jesus is saying, puts up with so much that they don't have to put up with. Jesus came to set captives free. And so often, when we hear that of the boat of Jesus coming onto our shoreline, we disregard it or we ignore it, don't we? There's so many things that we could be set free from, but we live with it because we're comfortable with it, because it's familiar to us. And so this is what occurs. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, I'm going to come back and talk about this being afraid in a moment. But what we've got to understand here is that when Jesus was confronting the spiritual powers and principalities here, when he addressed this demon uh, sorry, this legion of demons. He was also, by virtue of casting them into the pig, making a political statement as well. You see, Jesus didn't come just to establish a spiritual kingdom, but a physical kingdom, an emotional kingdom, and a kingdom of righteousness that is bigger than just our spiritual well-being. You see, the kingdom of darkness resided in the Gedarenes area, the Gerasenes, and the, the controlling powers used pigs as their symbol of authority. So when Jesus comes and he takes a legion of demons, throws them into a legion of pigs, and a legion of pigs are drowned, Jesus is not only declaring his spiritual authority, but he's declaring that the kingdom of God has authority over political powers and principalities as well. This is a huge statement to make. You imagine if someone came to New Zealand in the same fashion and caused all of our Kiwi birds to run down the hill and drown themselves in a river. We'd say, that is terrible. That is an iconic representation of whom we are as New Zealanders. 
aren't we? New Zealanders all like to go around in the middle of the night, make little wee steps in a shy and run away and go home in the daytime. That's why it's such an iconic bird for us. That was a joke. It's just, it's better than having the rooster, I think. If you're French, you eat that. But, you know. But imagine if somebody came and took your iconic symbol and caused it to drown itself. This is a political statement that's being made as much as it is a spiritual statement. And so what happens? Jesus heals this guy. The people who are hurting the pigs run into town, probably fearful for their own lives because they're just being paid a denarius a day to look after the pigs. They, they wouldn't be the owners of the pigs, I can assure you that. And it says that the people came back, found the man dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? They were afraid because they now saw something that threatened and challenged their status quo. You see, the thing about change is that we're in control of change. We change if we want to. When there are things in our lives that define us, even if they're negative, so often we won't want those to change because that's just the way we are. You know how it is at Christmas time and old Uncle Harry eats too much, drinks too much, and then, then starts arguing with everybody? Ah, that's just old Uncle Harry. Don't worry about him. It's just the way he is. You know? And what about your sister, the one who always racks up about the quality of the Christmas presents? You know? There's a little competition going on between you. Why? Because somehow she has to project that she's better off than she was. That's just who she is. And she's got her own challenges. And, you know, we make excuses for her. And then there's us. And when we see a person like the demoniac who is perfectly healed and whole, fully clothed in his right mind, and we see this person and we go, I know who this person was, but I don't know who the person is that confronts me now, that makes us afraid because we're being told that change is on offer. Change is on offer. And when you're being told that change is on offer, all these little habits, all these idiosyncrasies, all these prejudices that we have, all these bad attitudes that we've got, which define us, these are now up for grabs. Change can happen. And when you see the demoniac in his right mind and fully clothed, you're saying, if it can happen to him, it could happen to me. Now I've got a problem because I'm not so sure if I want to change because I kind of am who I am, and if I change, and then I have to give a testimony for why I change, what I'm saying is, I changed because I wasn't so good. Well, why didn't you change beforehand? Well, I didn't have the ability to change, but now I have changed, and what I'm saying is, I'm confessing to the fact that I had problems before, and I don't want to confess to the fact that I got problems now or before, so therefore I won't change. My pride kicks in and I say, this is who I am and this is the way it'll be. Even if Jesus' boat lands on the shoreline of your life, you still have a choice as to whether you change or not. That's why these people were afraid. Oh, sure, they saw the power and the authority over demonic 
activity. They saw the pigs being chased off down into the water and they were, you know, now they're all dead floating in the harbour. But that's what not, not what caused people to be afraid. You see, by nature, we're afraid of change, aren't we? Aren't we? Because we have to then testify to why we changed, how we changed, why we had to change, what we changed from. And that in itself is a challenge. So let's have a look at how the story continues to roll out. When those tending the pigs, we're reading it again, but I'll read into it further. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man with, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. A little bit like Baptists, really. Yeah? You know, what happened is all the people on the shore, they saw the demoniac in his right mind. They saw Jesus, and Jesus was there, just an open invitation for more of the same. So they said, come come on, come on, come on. What are we going to do about this? This guy's here to change us. Look at old Fred the demoniac. Look what he's done to him. We don't know what to do with him anymore. We won't be able to tease him. Now he's in his right mind. What means for us is that we're going to have to change if he let, we allow him to hang around with us. I don't think we like to change. We like eating pigs. We like going to our pagan temples. We like being able to be who we are. So what say we agree to tell him to go? All in favour say, aye, aye. Passed. And what did it say here at the end? So he got into the boat and left. Jesus, the gentleman, will not impose himself upon us. He will not make us do something we don't want to do. But he stands there on the shoreline of your life and you can hear his boat landing, coming into rest at the mooring of your life. And it is entirely up to you as to what you do with the opportunity that is presented. You see, Jesus says it's okay not to be okay, but I love you enough to not leave you where you are. That demoniac, when he saw him in that wild state, he said, man, I... I don't want to leave you there. I don't want to leave you there. So he drives off the demon, sets the guy free. Now for the guy who was the demoniac, he, he had a bit of a problem, you know. It was like, he didn't want to hang with the Baptists, you know, because they weren't really very favourable towards Jesus, who had changed his life radically. And so this is what he said. He said, said the man from whom the demons had gone gone out, begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. We say, wow, that's, that's a cool story. It's a cool story. But there's a postscript to this story. And the postscript is way cool. Very cool. You see, this wasn't the only time that Jesus went to this other side. 
This wasn't the only time he went to this region of the Gedarenes, Genesaret, Gerasenes. All the same in your Bible when you read them. Some of them are just given different names by different writers. But in Matthew chapter 14, there's this little passage here, just a few verses, and I want to read it to you. I didn't put it up because I want you to listen to this. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. This is the Gerasenes. Okay, so what are we doing? We're crossing over again. We're crossing over the Galilee. And they landed back in this place. And hear the boat. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Why? Because Jesus left an infiltrator. Jesus left a spy. He left one of his own to go about the Decapolis, the 10 cities, the 10 towns. And he would go into them and say, hey, I'm the guy. You remember me? You threw stones at me. I'm the guy. Look what Jesus has done. You probably don't recognize me with my clothes on, but this is what I look like. And people got the story. People heard his testimony. People got the message. This guy had allowed the the, the shoreline of his life to be broken by Jesus and the demons were cast out. And he wandered around just simply telling his story to people who had been too afraid to confront change. And then we find in Matthew's gospel some months, months and months later that when they turned up to the other side, They weren't afraid anymore. They were flocking. They were running. They just wanted to touch this guy. And because of their level of faith and confidence, they just reached out and touched him, and they were healed. And the irony of this whole story is that those on the other side, those who were the least okay, got the greatest blessing, didn't they? They got the greatest blessing. Because they realized ultimately the power of God to change was there for them to have. Not protecting religious boundaries, not protecting religious performance, as the Hebrews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had done, but rather somebody had come to their shore who had never been there before, was part of a different community, and they had invited him in. They had invited him in. Let's stand for prayer. God, we can, we all admit, we can keep you just a few meters off the shoreline of our lives. We can, we can keep you there within speaking distance or yelling distance, even prayer distance. But by doing so, Lord, we, we miss the opportunity that you give us to change. and We just become comfortable with our, our preferences, our prejudices, our attitudes. We make excuses for ourselves as we make excuses for others. But God, we thank you that you're the God who will clothe us aright and put us in our right mind. You're the one who will deliver us from the intimidations and the threats and the fears, from the shackles that bind us, that limit our capacity, that 
hold on to us and constrain us to things that we don't want to be a part of. But as that boat, as your boat, lands on our shoreline, Lord, we want to say, God, help us. Help us to identify these areas. And we invite you onto this beach of our lives and we invite you to do a work in us. Pure and simple. An invitation from Christ to bring change. When we could just as easily say, no, Jesus, I voted and you should go. So God, I pray for your blessing upon us. May we have the courage to acknowledge these areas in our lives that need your fresh touch. Maybe we need a deliverance. Maybe we need to be set free from powers of darkness that grip us. Whatever it might be, Lord, we know you're the gentleman who waits the invitation. So with confidence, we reach out to you this morning. With confidence, we're going to sing this, this song that we've got in it speaks about shackles being broken. With confidence, Holy Spirit, we know that you will touch and change and challenge and set a right in our lives that which is needing attention. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.